Matthew chapter 28. We've been talking about um, discipleship and what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean in 2020 to follow Jesus? And we've been tackling some of those really difficult passages, that you know, the ones about denying yourself and taking up crosses and all that stuff. We're in about our tenth week this week. If you uh, uh, haven't heard the previous nine weeks, I think they're on iTunes, are they? We've also got a, a YouTube channel that we started during COVID, and uh, we've heard some great stories of people getting online that way and just being encouraged by what's going on here. So we've kept that uh, going, so you can jump on there uh, as well and you can catch those uh, messages too. But we've been trying to look at, at what does it mean to be a disciple. Jesus didn't say go into all the world and get converts. He didn't say go into all the world and just get people to put a hand up in a meeting and then that's the extent of it. How many of you, how many of you gave your life to Jesus? You made that decision in a, a religious type of setting gathering. Anybody here? Nothing? That's, that's fantastic. That's awesome. Yep, that's great. Um, some of you didn't. Uh, I didn't. I was standing on a roundabout in the middle of the Pacific Highway with trucks and buses whizzing around me at 19 years of age when I finally thought, you know what, I, 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 I don't understand it all, but I believe that God is there. And so, God, if you really are there, I want you to come and prove yourself to me. And I, I call it right or wrong, whatever, it doesn't matter. Here I am, um, you know, what am I now? 48, what's that? 29 years later, I was never good at math, terrible at math, still am. 29 years later, here I am. So whether I started out doing it right, the way that you should or not, irrelevant. Here I am 29 years later, still loving God and He's loving me. And um, doesn't mean that life has always been, um, you know, a bed of roses. There are difficulties that come our way, but every time I have a difficulty, I know I'm not leaning on my own resources only. I'm, I'm, I've got God with me, and God, through thick and thin, sticks by me and has managed to get me through difficult situations in my life. So we've been looking at what does it actually mean, because it's, it's just not enough. And, and, and hear me when I say this, and if this is you, then maybe there's something in this for you. It's not enough just to put our hand up at a meeting and say, yes, God, I want to uh, give my life over to you, or I invite you into my heart, if we're not then going to get up from that moment, from that place, and begin to walk with him. We have this phraseology, invite the Lord into your heart. It's beautiful, and I know what we mean, but Jesus never wanted to just come into your heart. He wants to invade your life, and he wants to live his life through you, now, now, one of my favourite passages in, in the book of Acts, one, one I think it is, the former account, I made O Theophilus of all that Jesus, and Luke puts it this way, says all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, this is after Jesus has been crucified, buried and resurrected. Luke doesn't say the former account, and then he's talking about the book of Luke, and then the same guy writes the book of Acts. So he's referring back to his first volume, the book of Luke. He says, the former account I made of what Jesus began to do and teach. In other words, what I'm about to write in the book of Acts, although you're not seeing Jesus physically much, you're seeing Peter and Paul and Andrew and you're seeing uh, all these other people that God is using, but what Luke's saying is it's, it's still it's Jesus working through them. It's like Jesus continuing what he came to earth to do, but he's doing it through people who didn't just say, come into my heart. He's doing it through people who said, you can have my life, take it and use it. I become a, a vessel for God to continue to do on planet earth what he wants to do. It, there was not a full stop. See, Jesus doesn't just want to for, only forgive your sins and that's it. He wants to forgive your sins, but he wants to transform your life. 
He wants to change you and he wants to get you to a place where you're like a miniature little 2020 version of a type of Jesus. You're not Jesus, but you're, you're flowing in the power of God and Jesus' agenda becomes your agenda. The, the, the person that he was, the, the values he had become your values. What was his priority becomes your priority. That's what God wants to do in our life. And so we've been talking about what it means to be a disciple. I want to draw your attention to Matthew 28. We know this is the Great Commission. Okay, we know this is the Great Commission where Jesus, after his resurrection, gets his, his followers together and then he says to them, right, now I've got a task for you to do. You've walked with me and I've done a lot of stuff. Now what I've done is I have opened a door now. You see, go back to the Old Testament. Only certain people were anointed by God for certain tasks. The Holy Spirit would come upon a person for a task but could quite easily be removed and be taken away once that task was over or once that person did something stupid. Fast forward to the New Testament. And, and there's this prophecy that, that we, we read in the book of Joel. And Joel says this, he says, in the last days, he says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. We just read that and go, that's really great. He's going to pour his Holy Spirit on everybody. But the people that originally heard that, that would have blown their minds because up to that point, God's Holy Spirit was not poured out upon everybody. You were, you were a prophet, a priest, or a king. And all of a sudden, we're entering an age where this, this prophet Joel says, one day, I'm going to pour that spirit upon all flesh. All people are going to partake of the very spirit of God within them. And then we go to the book of Acts and we see what we term as the day of Pentecost. We see this day where all of the believers are together, 120, and they're in this room. And this outpouring, it says that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon all flesh, all that 120 people. And then Peter gets up and Peter preaches this amazing message. And at the end of his message, he says, you know what, repent. Turn your life over to God. Walk, stop walking that way and start walking this way. And what I will do is I'll pour that spirit upon you. And this, and this promise is for you and your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids and your great and every generation is far down the track of any that will choose to follow after God. So we have the very spirit of God upon us. That spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of you. That's a wild thought. Ever thought about that? I think about that often, and in my natural mind it makes no sense. How could, how could the spirit that was in that dark, that, that dark tomb 2,000 years ago, I mean, how can, it discombobulates my brain. How could that spirit be here 2,000 years later? But it's all been a part of the plan of God from the beginning. That there would come a day where, where Jesus would deal with that barrier, that, that wall of sin that separated us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. The one that did nothing wrong took upon himself the punishment that you and I deserve. So that we can not just have our sins forgiven, but so that that Spirit of God could invade our world. And we could not just be forgiven, we could be transformed, we can be changed. And not only can we be transformed and changed, we can become agents of transformation and change in our families, in our communities and, and in our nation. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus gives his disciples this commission. And here's what he says. He says, am I going to be able to do this without my glasses? Probably not. Every week I think that maybe God will heal my eyes and I won't need them. It's coming. Verse 18, Then Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of 
of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want to talk about today, verse 20. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Jeez, I wish you didn't say that one. Teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Who loves to obey? Who just loves it when somebody else tells you what to do? Who loves it, Pauline? You're t- that's a nervous chuckle, Pauline. Who just loves it? How many of you kids, you just love it when mum and dad say, this is what you're going to do. And you don't have an option, just this is it. You love it. How many of you husbands love it when your wife says, you're not watching the football, you're doing the gardening? How many of you wives love it when your husband says, you're not taking the credit card, but you can't go shopping? <laughs> We've all got those things. We love certain things, but there are things that we don't like being told what to do. It's not within our nature really to want to be told what to do. So it's interesting how Jesus words this. See, Jesus says this. He says, I want you to teach them to obey everything I've said. Teach them. Wouldn't it be easier if we could just be anointed to obey? Just come to church and someone's going to pray. I'm going to pray for you, Jackie, right now. You're my witness. I'm going to pray for my wife, Jackie. Now, I believe that God is here. In the, who believes God's in this place right now? And I'm going to pray that an anointing for obedience would come upon you. And then, it's not going to work. It's going to take more than a prayer for me to get you to obey. Because it's just not nature within us. The person we love to obey the most is ourselves. Whatever inkling I have on the inside of me in any given moment, that's the easiest thing that it is to obey. So Jesus doesn't say, I want you to go into all the world and just pray for them that this anointing would come upon them and they would just want to obey. He says, go and teach them what I've taught you. Obedience is a choice that each and every one of us has to make. But in Jesus' great commission, he said, if you're a disciple, then here's something that you will do. You'll actually obey what I teach you. In other words, you won't just hear it, you'll put legs to it. You'll do it. So it's not enough just to know the wise and foolish builder, both heard the words of Jesus, both built a house, both had the storms come against them. One stands, one falls. Jesus himself tells us the difference. The foolish builder heard the words of Jesus and went and built a house his own way. The wise builder heard the words of Jesus and says he went and he did what Jesus said. And his house stood firm. The other guy's house collapsed. And sometimes I think about life. Life can be like that. We can build it on our own ideas. We can build it on our own foundations. We can, we can obey any voice we want. There's a voice of peer pressure the kids face these days. If you're a young person here, you know exactly what I mean. There's the voice of, of, of the peers that say, this is cool, this is what you should do, don't do that song. And it's easy for kids to get swept up in that voice. There's the voice of culture that we live in, and, 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 and we live in a culture at the moment that's actually pushing us further and further away from the kinds of stuff that Jesus spoke about and the lifestyle that Jesus says is, is the best lifestyle for us to live. There can be the voice of fear that tells us, don't do this, even though we know God is saying, do this. There can be voices of self-doubt, all kinds of voices that are speaking to us, and we're going to end up obeying a voice at some point. 
We're all being discipled by somebody's words. We're all being discipled by somebody's perspectives. And Jesus is saying to his followers here, go and teach people to obey what I've got to say above and beyond everything else. It's not enough just to hear it. I actually want them to actually go and to do something with it. One of the reasons why it's so tough is because we're living in a culture where what Jesus says is almost countercultural to the world in which we live. I mean, Jesus says some strange things. He, tries, he wants us to believe that forgiveness is better than payback. Forgiving someone is more beneficial for you than paying them back or holding a grudge. Who believes that? It's one thing to believe that. It's another thing to actually do it. Because I've got to be honest with you, there's something inside of me that goes, I've got a pretty, you you think I can, I can can give, good as I can take, I can give back. I'll probably trump you, whatever you did to me, I can trump you, I'll go one better. And you go, I'll keep going, I'm pretty good, I'm pretty good at being bad. But Jesus says, no, 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 forgiving is better than payback. Jesus says that giving is better than receiving. Who loves giving more than receiving? Good, thanks for your honesty. It's way better. Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. Yet for most of us, our human nature is, well, you know what? I reckon it is. It's better to give than to receive. So, so I'll play my role in that by being the receiver and you give and that way you're going to be better off. It's not the way the culture works. We spend our lives trying to make a billion dollars, trying to get more, have more and so on. Some people at any cost, it doesn't matter. And it's not to give, it's just to hoard, to hoard, to hoard. To have, to have, to build bigger barns and bigger barns. Yet Jesus says giving is better than receiving. Serving is the highest form of leadership. Doesn't that go countercultural to what we see and what a lot of people do and what they experience in their workplace? You're the, you're the head cheese, the big honcho. I said it, do it. And yet Jesus says, but you know what? If you're the servant in that place, you're actually better. You're a better leader by serving than that person that goes top down heavy, it's countercultural. It's countercultural. He says to truly live, you need to die. Now that one makes absolutely zero sense. Because we're constantly fighting for the life we want. But Jesus comes along and he says, here's how it works. If you will give up the life that you want and surrender to me, I will give you the life that I want you to have and that will trump any kind of life you think you could create for yourself. But it's countercultural to give up. Don't give up your life. Don't die. Jesus said we need to be taught to obey. We need to learn obedience. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8, speaking of Jesus, it says this. It says, even though he was a son, it says he learned obedience through what he suffered. So even Jesus learnt to obey. There was no anointing upon the Son of God. That just made him obey. We look at his life and we look at what he went through. We look at the suffering that came upon him because he would not budge from what he believed God wanted. We look at what the, the, the rejection that he suffered. We look at the persecution that he suffered. All because he was committed to this thing called obedience. So I'm not going to budge from what God wants from me for my life. I wonder if we've got the same resolve in us. We're not going to budge from what God has for us in this life. Or are we easily swayed? Have we learnt obedience? Or are we waiting to just wake up one morning and just feel like it? Don't live by your feelings. Determine how you're going to live. And we're called to obey. Now God wants us to learn to obey as well because that 
is the life of a true disciple. Now, why does God want us to obey him? Why is Jesus saying to his disciples here that of all the things he could have told them to go and do, this is the last time he's speaking to them, and the last instruction he gives them is, I want you to go and tell everybody, go and teach people to obey. Why, why would God, the creator of the universe, who's not insecure, who doesn't feel inferior to anybody, why would he want these tiny little specks of dust on the tip of a pin called humans who live on planet Earth, why would he want us to obey him? Well, it's not because God is insecure on the throne and he needs our approval to feel okay about his performance. Anyone, anyone relate to that? You, you need all the positive feedback at work or at school. You need people to tell you. And by the way, encouragement is a great thing, but you need that because if you don't get that, you're second-guessing yourself all the time and you, you feel like your, your insecurities pop out and you don't know where you stand and you feel like you don't have value and so on. It's a human trait, but it's not a divine trait. God's not wanting us to obey so that he can feel more secure about being in charge of the whole show. It's not because he's on some kind of power trip. God's not on a power trip. Let's face it, why would God have any sense of feeling the need to enforce his power upon somebody like you and me? What are we going to do? Be here from 90 years if you're lucky and turn to dust. Boom, it's over. God's not feeling uh, this need to go on a power trip with humanity. And it's not because there's some type of spiritual election taking place in the spiritual realms, you know. There's God and there's the devil and they're campaigning all over the earth to see who, and every time we choose to obey, it's like another vote, and then he moves to the next. There's no spiritual election going on. There's not even a spiritual battle going on. God wins. God won. God wins. So it's not coming from any place of inferiority, insecurity. It's not coming from any place where God feels like he personally benefits from your obedience. So why does he want us to obey? Here's my simple theory. It's because he created the world and he created us to live in the world. So he knows how to help us get the best out of our time down here. He made you. He made this world we live in. And he looks at you and he looks at the world and he goes, here's the best, here's the way that you, Jackie, can squeeze the most out of planet Earth with the time that you've got. So if you obey me, you're going to get more out of this life than you will ever get by living by somebody else's values or somebody else's ethics or somebody else's perspectives or opinions. God wants you, don't make no mistake about it, God wants you to squeeze the marrow out of your existence. He wants you to get all the juice out of this lemon that we call life. He's not there to take away your fun. He's not there to take away your joy. He's not there to make your life boring and somber and sober. God wants to show you how to get the most so that when you get to the end, when you get to the end, you know that you've poured everything out that you had to pour out. You know that you've, you, you've, you've received everything that you were here to receive. You've blessed every person that you were here to bless. You've done every task that you were put here to do. That's why God wants us to obey. That's why God wants us to walk in his ways, because there's no other way that's going to give you more than his way is going to give you. Because he loves you, and he loves me. He's not a control freak. He's not insecure. He calls us to live the way we do because he loves us. Now, are there any real men in this building right now? Let me give you my definition of a real man. A real man is a guy who doesn't read a manual for anything. 
Any real men here? We don't read manuals. We just, we just get the thing and we just do it. We got the DVD player and we just start plugging plugs in everywhere. And our wives are going, well, there's a manual. Ah! Plug it away. Let me bounce all the picture. And we just plug things away and we just do whatever. And, and, and a job that should have taken three minutes takes us three hours, but it doesn't matter. In the end, we get it done and somehow we feel justified in saying, told you. Trust me. We just do whatever we want, even though there's a manual there. What's the manual there for? It's there to help us get the most out of whatever the machine is or whatever it is that we're using. That's what it's there for. This instruction book is there to help us get the most out of that piece of equipment. The instructions are given for a very good reason. I actually wonder how many of us have, have, have machinery or technology at home. How many of you have got a mobile phone? I'll guarantee you that most of you don't know how to do everything that you can with that mobile phone. Would that be fair to say? There are buttons on my phone. I've got a phone there, and I can tell you now, I, I know what about four of the buttons mean. But there's about 60. So there's 56. I told you I was bad at math. There's about 56 buttons on my phone, and I don't have a clue what they do. Now, they could make my life so incredibly easier, it's not funny. They could make me learn maths. I could be smarter. Every life would be quicker, easier, more convenient. But you know what? I don't have a flip how to use any of the buttons. And you know what else? I don't know intention of learning. I don't care. Because I don't care, I'm not going to get everything out of that thing. I'm just going to do what I know. But I know if I read the manual, if I looked at the instructions, if I got some outside help from an expert, the expert being the people that made the thing, if I would listen to them, I would squeeze way more out of that. And God is in heaven saying to humanity, I made this thing. I made this thing called planet Earth. I gave you this thing called life. And if you would just listen to me, there are so many more buttons there that you haven't even gone near yet. There are so many things that I want to show you that can make your life better there are so many things there that will help you squeeze more out of existence. There are so many things there that will give you fulfillment. You're chasing fulfillment in this, that, and that. God's going, look, if you'd read the manual, you'd see that that, that, and that will never give you fulfillment. This is going to give you fulfillment. You're trying to find peace in this, that, and that. If you'd just read the manual, listen to my instructions, because I made it, you would know that, that, and that will never, ever, ever give you the peace that you're chasing. And I would know, because I made you. And I made this thing called planet Earth. And I formed you in your mother's womb. And I breathed life into you. And I had nothing, nothing, but the greatest and most beautiful intentions for you. But you need to cooperate with me. You need to listen. You need to obey. You don't have to. I'll still love you. I still have affection for you. I'll still be with you. But your life will look different. The consequences will be different. Many years ago, my little boy Jonathan... We were living in Ballina, and uh, we had a canal at the back of the house. 
and, and I remember sitting there with my wife one day, and we were watching. Um, we didn't have Chloe at the time, did we? No, just the three boys. And my three boys were wanted to go out into the canal, and me and Jackie were sitting down having a chat on this little patch of grass. And so the boy said, we want to swim. I said, yeah, yeah, no worries. And I took, sort of took them to the edge. The, 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 the sandbank went like that, then it dropped off into a deeper patch. I said, you just hang around in this section here where your feet can touch and where we can see you. Yes, Dad, yes, Dad, yes, Dad. Should have known something was going to go pear-shaped in it. They agreed to something I asked them to do. You ever have that? Your kids say yes and you go, that happened way too easy. There's something going on here. I asked Jackie, can I fish for the day? She said, yes. I'm like, something's wrong here. I was prepared for a stoush. So we're sitting there chatting and three boys are splashing around in the water. Next thing I look over and I see Jonathan, my middle boy, and all I can see is his lips out of the water and the tips of his fingers and they're going up and down like this, like he's trying to get his footing but he's going further and further out into the deep water. So I did an Olympic jump from a sitting start, jumped right over the head of my wife, took off. By the time I got to the water, uh, you know what, Jonathan was, I couldn't see him, he was underwater, and it's a dirty water in that canal. So I'm doing this, and I grabbed him, hit something, grabbed him, pulled him up, and he gets up out of the water, and he's just like, just frozen for about probably 20 seconds, and then all of a sudden, He starts bawling and screaming and crying. I'm hugging him and I just don't want to let him go. Mum comes, she grabs him and she hugs him like only a mum can. I go inside. Later on that day I went into shock. I'm sitting there watching the cricket and I went into shock because I realised what happened. I could have lost this kid. You know? In the moment the adrenaline's rushing you just don't feel it. But when I reflected on it later on, he was the, he was the thing. Even, even though he had deliberately gone against what I said. See, what, what I was saying to him was purely to keep him safe. I wasn't trying to rob his son. If I thought he could handle swimming in that deep water, I wouldn't have cared, but I knew he couldn't. So I'm trying to keep him safe by saying, just hang here. He deliberately disobeyed me. When I got him out of the water and I held him, you know there was not one part of me that was angry at him. Not one part of me wanted to say, well, you made your bed, you sleep in it. Not one part of me wanted to say, well, see what happened, you shouldn't listen to me, you didn't, you disobeyed him. There was nothing in my heart other than I want to save that boy. And when I got him in my arms, all I cared about was he's safe and he's with me. See, we can choose to obey God, we can choose to disobey, it's up to us. His affection is not going to... God's not... God's emotions are not determined by whether I'm good or bad. I don't control God's emotions. God made a choice 2,000 years ago to love me. But we need to understand that even though he loves us, you see, it's, it's funny, I was listening to a radio program a few years ago, and a lady got on and she started to, to, to 
talk about um, God. And I don't think she was, she's not following the Jesus I'm following, I'll put it that way. She starts talking about God and she starts, basically she said, because God is love, then anything goes. Just anything goes, because that's what love is. Love is anything goes. And, and, and while I'm listening to her, this thought hit me in the car. And I nearly rang up the radio station, but I don't, unless it's talking sport. Um, so I, I'm driving along and I hear this girl, and suddenly this thought came to my head. You know, God is the only entity that has ever existed that is not allowed to have boundaries or consequences. You go to school, they'll give you a code of conduct. You need to behave a certain way to make your schooling experience a positive one. You behave outside of that, your schooling experience can be very negative. Go too far, you might not have a schooling experience, at least not in that school anymore. You go to work on Monday. You go to work, there's a, a code of conduct, whether it's spoken, unspoken. There are values, ethics, rules, things that govern your workplace. If you stick within them, you can have a great experience. You go outside of them consistently, you can have a really, really bad experience. If you go too far outside of them, you might not have a work experience in that workplace anymore. You go to the gym. As you can tell, I don't. How many of you know that you've got to behave a certain way to have a positive experience? Behave outside the boundaries of that, you might not have a very positive experience there. Straight too far from there, you might not have an experience in that gym at all. But when it comes to God, God's not allowed to have any set of boundaries. Even though he's the most loving entity in the world, even though he's not, he's not interested in making money off you, even though he's not interested in purely your performance, if you perform really well, I love you, but you don't perform well. For some reason, this entity called God is supposed to exist with zero boundaries and zero consequence. We think, we know we can't do whatever we want without a consequence at school, at work, at the gym, at the shopping centre, on the sporting field when we play by the rules, but for life in general, when it comes to God, we feel like we can do whatever we want. And God's job is just to pick up the pieces and deal with it. You know, one of the worst, and I, I might be a bit controversial here, one of the worst things in our modern sophisticated time today, especially with kids, is we feel like if you can't explain to me why, I don't have to do it. If you can't give me a good enough one now, now hear my heart, I'm into why. When you understand why, it motivates you and helps you do things. But I want to tell you this, when it comes to your relationship with God, If you're sitting back going, God, I'm not going to do nothing you tell me unless you explain to me why. First of all, I'm going to ask you this question. Then who just became God in that moment? God, you tell me why. Why do I want to know why? Because then I can decide whether your why is good enough for me to obey you or not, God. Think about the amount of stories and things we, that are in that Bible. Men and women of God, think about the amount that we would not have if they just waited for an appropriate why. I often think what it must have been like being Joshua, marching around a wall. 
There's a big flipping wall there. And God says, here's what I want you to do, Joe. I want you to get the, all the people that are with you, I want you to march around it. Who's going back to camp and have a snooze? Right. Why? Oh, because they'll make the wall fall down. Not good enough, God. Give me another one. And to make matters worse, Jay, I want you to do it for six days. And on the last day, here's what we're going to do. We're going to march around seven times. At the end, we're going to go, Aah! and the wall's going to fall down. And Joshua goes, spot on, got it, yes. We wouldn't have that story if Joshua sat back and said, I'm not going to do anything to explain why. Queen Esther, saving the entire Jewish nation, going before the king, representing her people. She didn't know whether she was going to live or not. Why should I do this? Save you people. Will I live? Will I die? I don't know. So many stories in the Bible that we wouldn't have. Great men and women of God that made a difference in the world and whose lives were transformed because... See, go back to Matthew 28. What's the first thing Jesus says? He says, All... What has been given to me? All, all authority. Now there's the big issue. All authority in heaven and on earth. I think he's covered most places. Earth means anything on the earth, and heaven means anything outside of it. Pretty got to cover it. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Do you want to know why you should live the way that he's called you to live? If for no other reason? The dude with all authority told you to. I hate to oversimplify things here. Clean your room. Why? Really? Okay. <laughs> sometimes we get a why, but sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't. But we're still called to obey. Jesus still says, I want you to obey. Why do I obey what God says to the best of my ability? I'm not perfect, but why do I do it? My first starting point is this. I believe that he has all authority in heaven and earth. So that overrides any perspective I have. That overrides any perspective my wife has, any perspective that my denomination has. That overrides any perspective my government has. And I'm not talking being an anarchist. I'm just saying, if he truly has all authority, then why do we not do what he said? Why do we so easily justify that's just too difficult, it's just too hard? Don't like it. It doesn't work in 2020. It's a different world now. You know? All authority. Here on earth has been given to him. I don't even know where I'm up to in these notes. Uh, anything good on that page? Nope. Anything on that page? Mm, not really. Any good on that page? There wasn't a lot good written period, to be honest with you. Isaiah 119, Isaiah says this. He says, if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. Willing is one thing. I'm willing to do it. Obedient is when we actually do it. Amen? I don't like the fact that Jesus told his disciples to go into all the world and tell people to obey me. I don't like it. I don't like it. But he said it. So I've got to wrestle with that and ask myself, these questions. Actually, there was something really cool on one of those pages. Now that I'm thinking about it, I can find it. 
Where is it? There we go. I'm going to ask you some questions and we'll finish up. wonder whether we could answer this question. Am I treating my wife or my husband, my partner, as the father would if he was in my shoes? You want to know the passage where Jesus said, I, I only do the things, you know, that do the things I see the Father do? And I think it's in John 14 somewhere there. And he also said, I say the things that I hear my Father say. Do you remember that passage? I say what the Father says, I do what the Father says. In other words, the way I live down here, I live my life as if the Father, how the Father would live it if he was in my shoes. That's how I live my life. If the Father was here in these shoes, if the Father was here in my absolutely amazing Converse pink kicks, or salmon, it's man, man pink. If the Father was here right now wearing these shoes, married to my wife, having my children in my house, doing my job, having my life, do I live that as if he would if he was in my shoes? That's what Jesus is saying. I only do what the Father shows me and I only say what he says. In other words, I'm living as if the Father were in my shoes. So I want to ask you these questions. Are you treating your wife, your husband, your partner as the Father would if he was in your shoes? Am I treating my children as the Father would if he was in my shoes? Kids love that one. I can see poking Nick in the ribs. Told you, Dad. Am I respecting my parents the way the father would if he was in my shoes? <laughs> Go and Nick hit him back. Do I treat my neighbour, my boss, my employees, etc., as the father would if he was in my shoes? Do I treat myself? with the respect that the Father would if he was in my shoes. Love your neighbour as yourself. How do you feel about yourself? Do I watch, listen, give my time to those things that the Father would if he was in my shoes? Do I handle finances as the Father would if he was in my shoes? They're good questions, they're good thoughts, because at the end of the day, I'm not standing here to tell you that you should obey because you already know, but I want to poke you to think about whether you actually are doing that or not. It's a challenge for me too. Am I actually obeying? Because that's part of the Great Commission that sometimes gets lost. We hear Matthew 28 and we think about the go. It's all about going. But when you get there, what are you going to do? We're going to teach people to what? Obey Jesus. Am I living my life as if the Father would if he was in my shoes. Father, I just pray for each person here today, God. Lord, God, you have such amazing things in store for each and every one of us in this room. God, you love us beyond human reason. And Father, I've got no doubt that there are people here this morning and you can think of a thousand reasons why God wouldn't love you, why you are the exception to the rule. But Lord, I thank you that there is no such thing as an exception. God, 2,000 years ago, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. That whosoever, the messed up, the broken, the dejected, the rejected, whoever would believe in you, would not perish but have everlasting life. You didn't send your son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would have life through you. So, Father, I want to pray for each person here today, Lord. There are people on different stages of that journey. Holy Spirit, I pray, would you just take us one step further? 
on that journey of discipleship. And Lord, if there are people in this room and we claim to follow you, Lord, I pray that we would examine our life. I pray that we'd have a look at where we're at and we'd have a look at this issue of obedience. Are we really obeying you? Are we really living our life as if you would, if you were right here, living in our shoes, God? Father, we love you. We thank you for the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the freedom and the liberty that we have to gather together in this place today uh, in your name, Father. We love you and we thank you. And God, I pray in the next seven days as we go from this place, Lord, let every person in this room, everybody that knows you, let them, uh, God, have the opportunity this week to share your goodness with somebody out there that at this point in time doesn't understand how much you love them. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, don't forget we've got baptisms coming up in a little amount of time. Uh, if you want to come along, go and see Debbie. Hey, look, if, 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 you, if you feel like God's been speaking to you, if you feel like the Holy Spirit's speaking to you today, can I encourage you, don't just get up and move on. You know, when God speaks, it's a precious thing. Grab somebody. You put, might have come here with somebody. Grab somebody. Say, can I tell you what God has said? Ask someone, could, could you pray for me? Or can, can I share something with you? Let's, let's, you know, church is not a spectator sport. We minister to one another as well. So.